With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football season is all about competition. When it comes to tailgating, that competition isn't limited to the playing field. Start with better meat from Fairway. Hand cut, fresh, and affordable. Fairway gives you the advantage in tailgating excellence. Get ready for kickoff with the best selection of meats and all the fixings from Fairway. HN Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. October the 5th, or actually October the 6th, 2019 is when we find ourselves recording this episode, the day after Michigan beat Iowa 10-3. to I talked a little bit about this game immediately following the contest. Uh, a very, very ugly game. Um, offensively, it was uh, nightmarish, really, for both teams. And when you, you go down and you look at the, the drives for Iowa, fumble, punt, punt, Interception, field goal, punt, interception, interception, punt, 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 downs. And here's Michigan's punt, field goal, touchdown, interception, punt, 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 field goal attempt, miss, punt, punt, field goal attempt, miss, punt, punt. That's horrible. It was not a pretty game from an offensive standpoint. Uh, Defensively, both defenses played really, really good. And uh, what were your thoughts? Well, if you go back, John, to the podcast we had previewing the game earlier, I guess last week now, uh, from a Michigan perspective, I thought there were two things that Iowa needed to look out for. And one is uh, the talent that they had coming off the edge, Uh, that they're very explosive there. They're deep there. Uh, You had Quiddy Pay was putting together an an all big, you know, a Big Ten player of the week type of performance. He goes out. And Mike Dana comes in, the grad transfer from Central Michigan, and they didn't skip a beat. Um, and, and so I thought that was something that uh, was going to be a unique challenge for Iowa. Um, and I think it was, it, it's a unique challenge in this because of the circumstance. You know, two weeks ago, you know, Michigan had an all Big Ten uh, left tackle that was out uh, for the majority of the early part of the season, and they threw him in against Wisconsin in a big game. And it's just not the same with an offensive line uh, as it is plugging in a running back. You know, just the timing, especially in Iowa's uh, scheme, and Michigan is playing more of that kind of a scheme now too. Uh, But the timing and and the cohesion of a unit, uh, that's a tough day for Alaric Jackson. And that's a guy that I'm guessing the rest of his tape this season on will not look like that. And so I think – what happened to Alaric Jackson is very similar to what happened to John Runyon in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, just really rusty, and it's just tough to get all that timing and cohesion down. And I think with the explosiveness Michigan has coming off the edge, and with Michael Dwumfor back in the lineup to play in the interior, that frees those guys up to really go after and get upfield, which they weren't able to do too much early in the year with Dwumfor out of the game. He's not he's not a Maurice Hurst kind of or Chris Wormley kind of a player, but. He's the closest that this Michigan team has. And then I think the other issue for Iowa and the biggest personnel matchup and mismatch in the game was Michigan's receivers on Iowa's secondary. And we saw that early in the game uh, on the big play to Nico Collins, where he was matched up man-to-man 50 yards downfield. And Michigan gets a big completion there that sets up uh, you know, what, 
was a promising early first quarter for the Wolverines. And then after that, you know, Michigan is claiming Iowa made some kind of adjustment. Geno Stone said after the game they didn't make any adjustments. So I don't know. I've not had a chance to watch the film yet. I've, you know, I've been, the Lions had a, had a bye week, so I took the, the day to clean my basement up, my man cave up. So I've not had a chance to go back and rewatch a lot of that. Um, but nevertheless, even if, if they didn't make an adjustment, then I don't know why Michigan didn't throw the ball down the field more. Uh, if they did make an adjustment, then that really doesn't speak well to Shea Patterson's ability uh, to see the field uh, and hit those intermediate routes because on his next 13 completions, he had about 90 total yards passing, which is absolutely abysmal. And so that's why I had a, had no really no real read on this game, brother, I, I, because I, I wasn't confident that Michigan could execute its biggest personnel mismatch in the game. And you saw that they were not. And... Um, and Iowa, therefore, was able to drag Michigan into the Street Fighter video game that they're best at, um, where they're going to punch you in the mouth, and they did. Um, I, that, this is not the scenario for me as a Michigan fan that I thought Michigan could have had any chance to win this game. Correct. And, uh, and what changed is, you know, I thought Urban Meyer made a fantastic observation after the game. And he said, when Don Brown first came into, this, into our conference, he was the most creative defensive coordinator in the league known as Dr. Blitz. And he said, what he thinks has happened since Don's first year is towards the middle of his second year, you know, when he realized, holy crap, I've got Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, Devin Bush, David Long, all these guys that are playing in the NFL right now. I don't really have to dial up all these blitzes. Let's just play a lot of straight up, man, my guys are better than your guys. And I think, and Urban said, basically just got kind of lazy. Uh, didn't use those words, but that's essentially what he was describing. And it just got very vanilla, just straight up, man, and not a lot of creativity. And I think what, what I saw Michigan doing to Iowa, uh, the zone blitzing, we haven't really seen that here in Ann Arbor really since Don's first year. Yeah, uh, with the, we saw a ton with Jabril Peppers. Um, and and the, uh, the, the zone blitz look really took hot receivers away, instant reads away, completely confounded Iowa's offensive front. And that was the biggest adjustment in the game. And that's what led to Michigan being able to win a game when, um, when its offense was uh, absolutely dreck and abysmal. And it's what caused an Iowa team that just a week prior had its best offensive performance of the Kirk Ferentz era to have one of the worst of the Kirk Ferentz era. And what'll be fascinating going forward is you have to look, do, what, what kind of teams have the ability physically to do that? You know, the defensive front Iowa's gonna play, this weekend, I think is actually, in terms of its overall talent, better than ours. I had, it, I had Penn State's defensive front rated ahead of ours uh, in, in my preseason power ratings in my Big Ten grid. I, I've not watched enough of their scheme, though, to know do they kind of play, they more rely on the ability of, the, of guys like P.J. Mustafar and, um, uh, you know, uh, Micah Parsons and Mitchell um, Gross Matos. Um, or do they dial up those kinds of exotics? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And, and I'm not sure there is an answer to that. We're going to know until 6.30 on Saturday. Um, but I think that was the adjustment in the game. And Michigan, Michigan was playing its typical man blitzing, and that resulted in s- several long third-down conversions. And as we got further into the second half, switching things up and going with more of a zone blitz look with, with uh, you know, not having a knowledge pre-snap of who's coming and who's going where, 
Nathan Stanley looked like he was, you know, on an episode of Lost. And the offensive line let a lot of free rushers go. And then you saw Cameron Grone, who doesn't have Devin Bush speed, but almost nobody does. But you saw why two years ago, 24-7 rated him the number one weak side linebacker prospect in the country because he was shooting gaps and absolutely demolishing um, Iowa's pocket uh, and ability to throw the ball down the field. And that was the difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me before the game that Michigan was going to have 267 yards of offense, three of 13 on third downs, that Iowa would lead the time of possession by eight minutes, I'd have thought, shoot, man. And Michigan would only score 10 points. I'd have chalked that one up for a Hawkeye win. And unfortunately, Michigan's defense just kept wave after wave after wave. I don't think Iowa's defense did really make any adjustments in the second half. At all, it looked pretty much the same to me. Uh, I think that the not knowing where the blitz was coming from just chewed Iowa up. And Penn State, they had 10 sacks against right. Purdue yesterday, but Penn State's offensive line doesn't have the pedigree that Iowa's does. Uh, I think that Wisconsin's defensive approach against Iowa has been a lot of you don't know where it's coming from. Uh, so that's a, a bit of a concern. But, uh, you know, I think one of the areas that Iowa really missed out on, and they had success with this early on, were mesh concepts. And they they didn't go to those enough. They didn't get Tyler Goodson involved in the passing game enough. Steve, I, I bet you were thinking the same thing when you saw them using Goodson in the first half there, especially in one series, and how they were leaking him out of the backfield, getting him on little wheels, getting him on mesh routes underneath. It looked a lot like the Akron Wadley game plan from 2016 when Iowa played against Michigan. And Goodson is kind of from that Wadley mold. He's a player that I would, I would liken him to Wadley relative to skill sets. But Iowa went away from Goodson in the third quarter, came back to him late. And it's still a miracle to me that I, with 135 left to go in the game, and at that point in time, Iowa was minus three in turnovers and committed four. They had allowed eight sacks, and they had eight penalties for 60 yards at that juncture of the game, and they were on their own 43-yard line with one timeout, a minute 35 to play to tie it. I don't know how that is possible other than Iowa's defense played really, really good. Michigan got one play. They got one play on them, and Iowa lost the game. So I, I think – I'll look back on this one as a missed opportunity for Iowa. Um, a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Um, 18 first downs, the 13 for Michigan. I mean, gee, many Christmas. I'm just looking at these play Michigan ran 59 freaking plays. I'm looking at these things again getting irritated. However, you can't let one loss beat you twice. And it will be interesting to see what Iowa does along the offensive line for Penn State. And for some reason, and I try to stay away from these, you know, fan intuition type of feels, because typically that's just indigestion. I, I'm pretty confident that I was going to beat Penn State. You know, Penn State has had one road game this year, but that was at Maryland, hardly a snake pit. But at that time, Maryland had a little juice on their season. But Penn State sort of knocked that off. I think Maryland had actually lost to Temple the week before that. Uh, this is a quarterback that Penn State has that has never played in an environment like he's going to play in under the lights, 630 in Kinnick Stadium. Uh, it's, it's almost like ABC, just go ahead and schedule Iowa versus Penn State next year for nighttime over at Happy Valley because that's what they, they like this Iowa-Penn State game at night. Uh, 
it will be very, very raucous in there, and I feel confident. But you're right, this Penn State front is very, very good. Very good. And I tweeted this out after the game on Saturday that any Iowa defensive coordinator on Iowa's schedule the rest of the way, if you can do what Michigan did, do it. Because, I mean, Tristan Wirfs did not look good. Alaric Jackson did not look good. The guards did not look good, really didn't look good. Wasn't a good day, but for some crazy reason, I, I just feel like they're going to bounce back against Penn State. Well, if you go back to this game, the, the thing that I found fascinating with both offensive coordinators is the inability to build on what seemed like it was successful. And since this is the Hawkeye Nation podcast, we're gonna, I'm going to talk only about the Iowa side of this, uh, is the, of this equation. The, the mesh thing, Michigan switched to its zone blitzing scheme because of that, because this is the crossing, you know, the crossing routes that have uh, – that tore Michigan up at the end of last year that, uh, you know, Mike DeBoard and Indiana put that on tape and then everybody ran those to death against us, you know, and then, you know, the very next game, Ohio state did it with four receivers that ended up going to Indianapolis and, and running sub four fours electronically timed, two of them in the low four threes. And, and we just got demolished with that. Florida did that to us. Uh, um, and, and so this is why Michigan went to, and Iowa started going down this route as well. This is why Michigan went to the zone blitz, is to take that mesh away. Now, when you do that, though, and if you go back to Don Brown's first uh, couple of years when we ran more of this zone blitzing, one of the reasons we went away from it in 2017 is not so much just the amount of personnel that we had recruited, as Urban pointed out, that was part of it, but, but we tried this against Penn State on a Saturday night whiteout. And, and, we don't, and, and no one could cover Saquon Barkley in open space. And we got, we got destroyed doing this with, with, with tailback leakage. Uh, and, and if you go back to the Orange Bowl a couple of years ago, Dalvin Cook crushed us running, uh, you know, those sorts of leak and wheel routes down the field in the Orange Bowl too. Now, we're talking about a freshman running back here for Iowa, one that's, you know, very highly regarded. Dalvin Cook right now might be the best running back in the NFL, not named Christian McCaffrey. Okay, I mean, and, or, and, and if he's not, maybe Saquon Barkley is. So, I mean, these are guys who are, you know, going to be in, you know, in the Pro Bowl in a few months. But that's, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm concerned where, why you, you know, why you were caught so flat-footed that Michigan was able to just continually dial up variations on the same theme, you know. Um, and... And, and you would think that it wouldn't work like every time. Like a couple of times, you'd have made them pay for it. Just a couple of them. And the fact that they never really did, then I mean, you know, Michigan recruits very well. They've got good players, but, you know, you know it, but that shouldn't work every time. That's what I would be concerned about if I was an Iowa fan. I, I wouldn't be upset that the mesh routes went away because Michigan went to his own blitz to take that those easy man beaters away against man coverage that teams have been tearing Don Brown up with, you know, for the last, going back to the end of last year. I wouldn't be upset about that. I wouldn't be upset about a Larry Jackson going up against a very highly recruited athletic defensive front in his first, this, let's face it, this is his first real action of the season and, and being caught flat footed and having his timing down. And then you're a kid that really wanted to go to Michigan and they wouldn't offer you. So you want to come in, you've got something to prove. 
and then you start pressing after you get beat a couple of times, that can just happen, right? What I would be the most concerned about is there wasn't a counter to the counter. And, 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 and that's, if I'm an Iowa fan, that's the question that I would be asking today, is where was the counter to the counter? We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Check out our monthly specials at Floors Direct on carpet, hardwood, and luxury vinyl to save you even more. Bigger selection than the home centers, expert service, and always better value. Floors Direct. Say yes to paying less. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to watch the uh, All-22 film of this game because, and, and I've said this before through the years, especially during the Greg Davis era, but Iowa's route trees. I, I'd love to watch the All-22 just to look at Iowa's route trees on these passes that they dial up because, man, so many times I, I just see too many targets in the same area doing sit down or curls. We called them curl routes back when I played, you know, a thousand years ago, they're probably called digs or something else. Now I'm not sure of the nomenclature. You basically run down straight and you do a little curl and come back. And there's times I've seen like all the full three or four receivers that are running out, all of them are running the same route, just in different areas. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not somebody running a deep threat to clear space. Now, obviously, there's going to be plays that they have that do that, that are designed to clear somebody out so there's a deep threat. But I just – it just seemed like the route trees to me, I don't know. And, and, and maybe I'm just grasping at straws right here, but I, I don't know. And, and one of the Paulson brothers after the games, I was looking for it here, but I can't find it, said something to the effect of, you know, we, we, we get a lot of new things thrown at us every week. I, I don't know. There, there were just some interesting comments after that game that you don't normally see. But, yeah, you're right. The zone blitzes can and are, and are designed to change things up, mesh, mess up the mesh concept game for sure. It just – even before I, I – I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've just run out of things to say about this one. Then let me throw one more thing in there. That if I was an Iowa fan, this is another question I would be asking myself. You weren't running the ball with a lot of success to begin with, okay? But given here's all you here. If you if I'm an Iowa, if I'm a coach on the Iowa staff, and yes, I know the field position was terrible, but you're looking at an offense. That if you know if if you line up with the with the possible exception of Ohio State with the addition of Justin Fields, there's not an offense in the league that has more highly recruited players on it than Michigan's does. And the, and after that Levert Hill interception late in the first half, yeah, the field position was terrible, but the fact that Michigan came out there and tried to run out the clock with a minute and a half and three timeouts or two timeouts, with all of that talent. And the fact that the fan base was happy about it, like in most situations, you get booed off the field. You know, this is an Iowa fan. That's kind of an Iowa move to, to do that in that situation. And you guys hate it all the time, right? Okay. The fact every Michigan fan, I was screaming it, take a knee. Like I didn't want to hand the ball off. Just take a knee. Okay. Um, the fact that they had so little confidence in their offense. If I'm in your locker room at halftime, and, th- and this seems like a strange criticism to give to the Iowa coaching staff <laughs> all the years that you and I have covered them and talked about them and all the interviews we've done with Kirk. This may be the first time I've ever lobbed this criticism, but I guess, you know what, if you stick around long enough, you'll get criticized for everything. <laughs> all right. But if I'm Kirk, 
And I'm watching Michigan just sit there with momentum and a big stop and a turnover and time on the clock and timeouts and all these highly recruited guys. And they're in there just running the clock out with a former walk-on running back, True Wilson, ready to just get the hell out of there and be glad that they got 10 points. I'm, I'm saying to my offensive coaches, we're going to play a field position game and just get the hell out of here with like a 13 to 10 win. That, you know, whoever throws the least in this game is going to win. So we are just, we're going to play the wind. We're going to play the field position. And they're the team with the pressure on them. We don't have to win this game. It's not a divisional game. We're on the road. They're the ones with all the pressure. They're the ones where everybody's like their season is over if they lose. It's their homecoming. We're going to put them in a position where they're the ones that have to make an affirmative play to win this. And all we're going to do is a punt is a good play. And we're going to sit here and just run it out, run it, play very conservatively, and force Michigan into a situation to see if it will make a mistake, which has been its MO so far this year. Because you had this sense watching it after that, after that great start that Michigan's mental was mentally fragile there in that second quarter. And if I'm Kirk Ferentz, I'm, that's what I'm saying to my coaches. I'm saying whoever you, there will be a direct correlation between pass attempts and who wins this game at the end of the game, barring some crazy we go into overtime or you know you know some kind of you know punt block or something that you can't forecast. And and and, and I, I if I think Iowa did a great job of dragging Michigan down into that Street Fighter game, but I don't think it went Street Fighter enough. I, I think it should have gone full blown. Let's see if we can win this thing eleven to ten kind of a thing. And I think that it, it was a similar game, although Iowa State's offense was clicking much better in that environment. But it's a similar game that Iowa forced Iowa State to be the one to make mistakes. And in this game, even though it was only 10 to 3, Iowa never put really put the pressure on Michigan in the entire game and made Michigan show, hey, you guys have to execute. You guys do this. We're playing with house money here. We don't have to win this game. I mean, Michigan kept inviting Iowa to take the initiative, to, to you know, go out there, spread it out, throw the football around. And Iowa kept saying, yeah, we got this. We'll do that. And that's the part I never really understood. And if that's another question I would have if I'm an Iowa fan, is that. Why, why did we never put that Michigan offense in a position with terrible field position that it had to execute, had to protect the blind side. I mean, you watch the game. Shea Patterson's got clean pockets, man. And if he, and if he can't read his first or second reads not there, happy feet, he's bailing out. All right? You know, like, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, when he, Joey Harrington, what I used to call him Joey Checkdown from my Detroit Lions. You know, just he's waiting to get hit. I, I, I don't know. I was really surprised the Iowa coaches decided the answer to that was to put uh, Nate Stanley back to pass 42 times against a really athletic defensive front with, a, with an offensive line that was struggling to get its checks and its reads in pass pro down. That, that didn't make much yeah, sense. Yeah, you know, the, the holes that Iowa's offensive line were not open for very long. But I would say that when you did see, you know, Warren Young and Mackay Sargent um, running through some of those holes – if you would have had someone in the game who had better acceleration and could get there and through there quicker, there was more there. 
And I think that guy's Tyler Goodson. And I know that this is going to sound pure fanny. And, but this, this kid has already shown me enough that he needs to play more. And you need to live through some of those freshman mistakes that you're going to have because he's electric. He's faster. He's good in the passing game. He's actually pretty decent in pass protection. He'll throw his body in there. He's not afraid to do it. And he's a guy that can break off long runs. He can take it to the house like, Wad- like Wadley could. Torn Young cannot. Makai Sargent cannot. And here we are in 2019 talking about a lot of the same things that we've been talking about for the last decade or more. But I, I credit Iowa for their willingness to give Goodson as many touches as they did. He had six carries and he had five targets in the passing game. A true freshman on the road in Michigan, which tells you and tells me they trust him. He's in the circle of trust. His red shirt is burned. So if you're going to play him that many times, he probably was in for 20-plus plays out of right. the 72. So if you, if you trust him enough to do that on the road at Michigan, then you need to play him more the rest of the way. And maybe they will. Maybe they will. But at any rate, it'll be Iowa against Penn State next Saturday, 6.30 p.m., nationally televised game on ABC. Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler will be in Kinnick Stadium, should be an electric environment. And uh, I'm telling you right now, when we do our picks next week, unless three or four people are out that I don't know of, and I don't think that's the case because Iowa seemed like they were fairly healthy coming out of this one, relatively, of course. Um, I'm taking Iowa to beat Penn State. I think they're going to beat them. We'll pause right here for a sponsor break. Be back shortly. Floors that fit your life. Just one of the reasons Flooring America is where friends send friends. Now, buy any carpet and get free labor. Every color, every style, and save 10% on Galvanite floors, too. Buy with 36 months special financing. Now, at Flooring America. Hmm. Well, it's it's the quintessential spot for Iowa to rise up. Uh, and Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just history in my mind. And And we don't know how good they are. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about uh, with the Bigger Ten podcast, is if you look at wins against teams currently in the top 25 by Big Ten teams, there's only three teams in the league that have a win against the top a top 25 team. And there's only a couple of others that even have wins against teams currently receiving votes. Penn State has a win over Pittsburgh, which got two votes in the AP poll this week. That was one of my picks, was Pitt over Duke. I was right about that. Pitt also almost lost to Delaware last week. They were a 17-point favorite a few weeks ago in State College. Should have won that game. We all remember Pat Narduzzi's numbskulled game management. Now, what, what Pitt did in that game is Pitt ran a defensive scheme very similar to what Iowa faced against Michigan yesterday. A lot. It was quintessential Pat Narduzzi when he was at Michigan State. A lot of zone blitzes. A lot of, you know, you no-fly zone coverages. Not time, there wasn't a lot of time for Sean Clifford. Um, and we don't really know how good he is. We, we know he's good when he's got five seconds to throw the football and finding somebody open. Um, so if, if this is a week, if, I, you know, if Phil Parker, there are some exotics drawn up there, and Phil has shown much more of a tendency to go there than Norm did uh, back in the day, but – I was feeling somewhat limited there because of the injuries in the defensive backfield, and you're concerned about exposing that for so long. But, you know, 
Sean Clifford's never played a game to anything close to the environment that he is going to face on Saturday. And yeah, I know Maryland had a sellout crowd there, but how, how many Penn State fans were probably there? And, and also, Maryland has two wins ever against Penn State, and they've been playing since the 19th century as part of that, you know, the old East Coast alliance thing they had. So I, I, this is – Sean Clifford's never played anything close to this environment. So I, what, if, if I'm Phil Parker, I'm going to come up with my, – my goal is to show Sean Clifford some things he hasn't seen before and see how he responds to that. I've got to, I'm going to, I got to make a guy who's never played a road game against a ranked team, let alone Kinnick at night. I've got to, I got to make him beat me because they came in, they came in here with Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley and nearly lost. So I've got to make Sean Clifford beat me. I'm going to, I've got to make them play left-handed. I got to take the running game away. And if Sean Clifford throws for 350 yards, tip your cap, have a nice season. You're just better. But I, I, I have to make Penn State beat us like that. I can't let Sean Clifford walk out of here with, with a win and he's got 196 yards passing or something. I, I got I to – he's got – if Sean Clifford if, – if Penn State wins and it was for any other reason other than Sean Clifford might be Big Ten Player of the Week next week, I'd be really upset if I were an Iowa fan. All right, we'll be back to talk about it and preview it a little bit more on Thursday in our pick segments we share on the Bigger Ten Network. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you then. You want to wake up and see the clock, tired of contacts or glasses? LASIK eye surgery with Wolf Eye Clinic may be the life change you've been looking for. The first to perform LASIK in Iowa, more Iowans trust Wolf Eye Clinic specialists with their eyes. Call 833-532-532. 8809 to schedule a free LASIK consultation with a Wolf Eye Clinic surgeon today.